Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today, as we continue our message, I want to present to you a really difficult message. It's very difficult because as soon as I mention the individual's name that I'm going to discuss, though everyone know him, knows him as a key figure, it doesn't matter who you are, you cannot even have studied the Bible, and you will know who this individual is. Just his name invokes an entire personality and a type that's just cast and set in stone. Like, okay, I know what you mean about that person when you call them that. It's been said, don't judge someone's circumstances until you know their story. Why? Because people often end up at a place in their life that they never intended to be. But as you know, intentions and actions are two entirely different things. You don't arrive at the place you intended to be in life. You arrive at the places that your choices led you to in life. The harsh reality is that the difference between where you want to be and where you wound up being is the choices that you've made. We've all known or been through seasons in our life where we look around and go, how did this happen to me? How, how did I end up here? How did they get there? Today in our message, March Towards the Cross, we're going to bring up an individual who 2,000 years later, just his very name immediately marcates exactly what someone is like. And even though you may not be sure of all the 12 apostles or may not be readily available of naming their names, maybe the 70 that surrounded Jesus like Luke. Most people think that Luke was one of the gospel writers, that he was also an apostle. He wasn't. There were realms of people that followed Jesus. There was the three, Peter, James, and John. There was the 12 whose names are listed. There was 70 who Jesus in the book of Mark laid hands on and told them to go and heal the sick and cast out demons. And then there was 500. And in those relationships are the people that surrounded Jesus. This person's name everyone knows. He was raised in a devout Jewish family just south of Judea named Kiriath. His name meant praise the Lord. Jehovah leads. As a matter of fact, I, I have a son and his name is Christian. And people often ask me, why did you name him Christian? And here's the truth. Before he was born, I prayed and I knew he was going to be so challenging that I wanted his name to be the thing that called him into his destiny. Christian. So every time they would call me, they go, Christian, 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 Christian. We walked through some dark waters, but today he's preaching the gospel and I just got through praying with him in between the second service. This disciple was the most educated of all the disciples and the only one chosen not from the region of Galilee where the rest of the disciples, the fishermen were. That being said, you can understand why he would be chosen to be the treasure, to handle all the money and resources that were handed to Jesus. Jesus. 
He saw blind Bartimaeus healed. He saw Jesus walk on water. He healed, cast out demons. He even saw the Cajun miracle when Jesus turned water into a drive-through daiquiri shop. (laughs) He heard the greatest messages ever preached, the prodigal son, the Sermon on the Mount. So how could he start off so good and end up so wrong? Maybe you know who I'm talking about. Tell me if you do. What's his name? Judas. Judas. How did Judas become Judas? Here's a question I want to ask you, and it's a spiritual question. And your spiritual view of God and of the Bible will give you your answer. Here's the question. Was Judas chosen to be Judas or did Judas choose to be Judas? Now, I want to give you the Bible answer. How many of you would like the Bible answer? The Apostle Paul writes and says, it is God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him. In other words, you have already been given the opportunity and God's choice is that everyone knows him and is born again. But let me ask you a question. How many of you love people that you know that have chosen not to follow Christ? Is it God's fault? Is God chosen to do everything he can to bring them into a relationship with him? Yes, but they have made choices that brought them somewhere else. So the answer to that question is not that he was chosen. God knew what he was going to do. You see, God doesn't live in time. There is the past, the present, and the future. That's how we live it. God lives above. That's why he says every one of your days were numbered and written in a book before you were born. That's why he says in Jeremiah, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He knows those things. But God will use people. As a matter of fact, let me give you a little better example. Some of you were very disappointed when President Trump didn't win. Some of you were very disappointed or very happy when President Biden won. Many people think, well, Pastor, if President Trump would have won again, the gospel would have been open, so many crazy things wouldn't have happened, more people would have been given an opportunity to preach the gospel and know Christ. And maybe that's true. But can I tell you this? Even if we do have a different president, one might open up the door for people to do that, and the other one might drive people to do that, but God's going to use them both regardless of the choices that each of those individuals make. So today, I want to ask you the question, how did Judas become Judas? No one ever plans on being Judas. No no one ever introduces you to a relationship and says, hey, it's good to meet you. I'm going to be the Judas of your life. You're going to trust me. We're going to eat out together. Matter of fact, T.D. Jakes was once asked by a preacher I know, I'm preaching on Judas. He said, do you have anything to share? And he said, I do. 
There's always a Judas around your table, and he's always close enough to kiss you. So watch who you eat lunch with today. No. <laughs> what was the final act? What was the final straw that broke the camel's back that drove Judas to being Judas? We're going to see it today in Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. Listen to what it says. Then Jesus went to Bethany. Remember that because that's an important city in this whole story. To the home of Simon, a man Jesus had healed of leprosy. A woman came in the house holding an alabaster flask of expensive fragrant oil. And she came right in to Jesus. And in a lavish gesture of devotion, she poured out the costly oil and it cascaded over his head as he was at the table. Now, you're going to find out in this story, for those of you who've ever heard it preached, what she poured out was ointment or perfume. It was often not only put on you when you wanted to smell well, but it also was put on sometimes people who had died so that as their bodies decomposed, the smell was disguised. And now she's pouring it over Jesus. Theologians tell us that it is a year's worth of perfume that she is pouring on Jesus or a year's wages, one year's wages. When the disciples saw this, they were, they were what? Offended. What a waste, they grumbled. We could have sold it for a great deal of money and given it to the poor. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to them, why are you critical of this woman? She has done a beautiful act of kindness. You will always have someone poor with you who you can help, but you will not always have me. When she poured out the fragrant all over me, she was preparing my body for burial. I promise you that when this wonderful gospel is spread all over the world, this story of her lavish devotion to me will be mentioned in memory of her. Jesus spoke that 2,000 years ago, and 2,000 years later, I'm preaching the story. He's still right. One of the 12 apostles, Judas the locksmith, went to the leading priest and said, how much are you willing to pay me to betray Jesus into your hands? And they agreed to pay him 30 silver coins. And immediately Judas began to scheme for an opportunity to betray him. Matthew tells us that the disciples said, what a waste. Mark now gives us his account of the same story. But some were highly offended or some were highly indignant when they saw this. And they complained to what? One another saying, what a total waste. It could have been sold for a great sum of money and the money could have benefited the poor. So they scolded the woman harshly. First passage, some were highly indignant. Second one, what a waste. But now John, the beloved, is going to tell us some details of the same story that were left out of the other two accounts. John 12, 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus went back to Bethany, the town where he had raised who? Lazarus from what? From, what? from the dead. And they had prepared a supper for Jesus. Mary, who those of you know, the, uh, Martha, who those of you who know the story, know that's Lazarus' sister, served, and Lazarus and Mary, that's Lazarus' other sister, 
were among those at the table. Can you imagine that dinner? Okay, you have Simon the leper, who's been healed of leprosy. That's, that's Old Testament AIDS. Okay, and then you have the guy who has been raised from the dead. How cool is that? And then you got Jesus. That, that's a pretty amazing table. I'm not going to go into the story, but I just want to say it because I think it's kind of humorous. Before the end of this story gets over, if you read in the gospel setting, the religious leaders not only want to kill Jesus, they also want to kill Lazarus. Think of that conversation. We need to kill Jesus. He's changing everybody. Yeah, and we need to kill Lazarus. Guy goes, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, hold, hold it. The dude's already been resurrected once. I mean, you realize that if we stab him, he could come back and testify against us. Imagine those conversations. Lazarus' second funeral. Boudreaux says, I am not cooking another gumbo for his family. The last time I did that, they gave that away, and he ate some fricassee because he liked it from somebody else. I am not going to another Lazarus' funeral. And now here they are around this table. Now we learn something we didn't know before. Look at verse 3. Mary picked up an alabaster jar filled and nearly a liter of extremely rare, costly perfume, the purest nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet. Who is Mary? Who? Now let me ask you something. If, if Pastor Jacob showed up at your house with our me and Pastor Chris, and we had gone in and prayed for your brother who was about to be dead. The doctor said he had minutes to live. His body was riddled with cancer and he was instantly healed. And a month later, we were having dinner at your house. Do you think you might make sure that we were taken care of? Or that we were driving a car that wasn't reckless? Or that the church had everything that it needed to continue ministry like that? Absolutely you would. She was doing, it was extravagant to them, but it wasn't extravagant to a woman who had her brother raised from the dead after he'd been dead for over four days. That wasn't extravagant at all. She, as she poured this ointment out, had probably poured the same ointment out on Lazarus' dead body. Then she wiped them dry with her long hair and the fragrance of costly oil filled the house. But Judas, the locksmith, he had the key to where the money was. Simon's son, the betrayer, spoke up and said, what? Now we know who actually said it. It wasn't a group. It wasn't the disciples. The person that started speaking this was What a waste. And why did he say what a waste? Not because he cared about the poor, but because he what? He cared about money and he was stealing. Listen carefully. If you got a problem giving money to the church or to God, because you're going to see what he ends up doing. We could have sold this perfume for a fortune and given it to the poor. In fact, Judas had no heart for the poor. He only said this because he was a thief in charge of the money case. He would steal money whenever he wanted from the funds 
to give support, to give support for Jesus' ministry. Jesus said to Judas, leave her alone, Judas. She has saved it for a time of my burial. You'll always have the part with you, but you won't always have me. And when the word got out that Jesus was not far from Jerusalem, a large crowd came and they all wanted to see Lazarus, the man who also had been raised from the dead. The other writer tells us that immediately from that conversation, he goes to betray Jesus. Now watch this. What was he arguing about? What did he go and betray Jesus for? What was his problem? Only in this passage did John reveal who said what a waste. Where this thought and idea came from. Can I tell you something that's really scary? There's only two statements in the Bible ever recorded by Judas. The first one was this, what a waste. Do you know what the last one was? Matthew 27, 4, when he took the 30 pieces of silver after he saw what happened to Jesus and he threw it at the feet of the people that gave it to him and said, I have sinned because I betrayed an innocent man. His first and last statement. What happened at that moment? What was it that Mary's very generous sacrifice on the feet of Jesus, it only looks generous when you remove it from the fact that he'd raised her brother from the dead. What, what was it that, that, that in his mind he went, that's it. That's the final straw. He got called out. He got humiliated. His heart was exposed when Jesus looked at him and said, Judas, no, you're not going to rebuke her. She's willing to give everything for me, and the truth is, you're stealing from me now. And at that very moment, his heart was exposed, called out, corrected, and offended. And immediately, he gets up and goes to betray Jesus. What caused Judas to become Judas the betrayer? Or better yet, how can we keep from becoming a betrayer to our faith as well? Because seated right here, every one of you here knows somebody who at one time had an experience with God. God truly touched them. They knew God answered their prayer. There was something that was done for them by God that they knew could only be attributed to God himself. And yet now, they're a long ways away from the experience they had with God, the relationship they had with God, and they've thrown in the towel. I want to tell you what I believe caused Judas to become Judas because I think he's given there as a role model for us. You see, everybody's a role model. <laughs> you're either in this book because you're a role model of what to be, or you're in this book because you're a role model of what not to be. So how did Judas become Judas? Number one, he did not guard his heart. He didn't guard his heart. Proverbs 4.20 says this, listen carefully, my dear child, to everything I teach you and pay attention to all that I say. Fill your thoughts with my, until they penetrate deep into your, then you 
will unwrap my words. And as you unwrap my words, they will impart true and radiant health into the very core of your being. So above all, guard your, guard the affections of your heart for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being for from there flows the wellspring of life. Tragic things grow in an unguarded heart. I, I, I'm going to just go ahead and confess this before my wife grabs the microphone and yells it. I am not a gardener. I cut yards from the time that I could push a lawnmower as a child and vowed that when I could pay someone to do it, it would be the happiest day of my life. As a Mexican, the greatest joy of my life is to know I have a white lawn man. I'm just naming him Julio. He's the only white Julio in town, but to me, he's Julio. But I love my wife enough to, even though that I am not a gardener and she is, she can live, she's lived in the yard now for hours and days. I wish y'all would have seen this Cajun woman yesterday in a pond up to here pulling weeds. I got a video. For the route offering to our Savior's church, you can have that video. But I've seen her labor and work so hard planting that garden, making sure that everything gets right, only to walk out a few days later and see weeds pop up. I know for a fact she didn't buy weeds. I know for a fact she didn't pay for that. But weeds happen because we live in a fallen world. And you might have to purposely plant this seed of the word of God into your heart to guard your heart, but you don't have to plant weeds. They come because of the world we live in. You and I have all known people and have done things ourselves or said things. Have you ever said something and you thought, did I just say that? Where did it come from? It came from an unguarded heart. The stealing grew in his heart. The secrets grew in his heart. The anger grew in his heart. And finally being called out by Jesus, this was the final straw. Yes, he'd seen miracles. Yes, he'd healed the sick. Yes, he'd preached the gospel. Yes, he'd watched all the miracles that are recorded in the word of God. But now something in him grew so great that it would keep him from seeing the very truth and life that was right before his eyes. Look right here. You're only as sick as your secrets. That's why 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, you know, I've had people come to me. I've been in Lafayette for over 40 years. So people have come up to me before and said, you know, pastor, uh, there's somebody at my job and I told them I go to our savior's church and they said, oh, I know pastor Jacob, the real pastor Jacob. Like somehow they have some hidden thing like right here. Like if I ever told you who he was, but I'm not, I just want you to know that I know. So I want to share with you 
I've never done anything to disqualify myself from ministry, but if you'd like to know something negative about me, I can share a lot juicier things with you than they ever could. (laughs) Because I know in my heart dwells no good thing. And so I must intentionally plant what is good to weed out what's not naturally good. And that's how I guard my heart. We've all heard the army story of the guy who was in battle and he had his New Testament with him and he was shot and it stopped by the word. How many times has the temptations of my life been stopped by the word? How many times have I been jacked up and messed up and was one step away, but my heart was protected by the word? You're only as sick as your secrets and that's why we all need brothers and sisters that we can confess things to. Let me, let me ask a question. Any man here ever struggle with lust? Raise your hand. The, the rest of you that didn't raise your hand, you just struggle with lying. <laughs> if, if you are a man alive, you have struggled or been tempted with lust. Okay, there's only three sins, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And every one of us have walked through those or seasons of those. And this is what keeps me from that. Not my strong will, not my strong life, not my beautiful wife, not what I've entrusted, not that I'm Pastor Jacob, not that not even preach the gospel for 50. What keeps me is the word of God. Jesus said, you are clean to the word that I've spoken to you. It's the only thing that'll keep me and it's the only thing that will keep you. It's the only thing that'll keep you. Here's the second thing. He didn't guard his heart. Here's the second thing. He listened to the enemy's voice. He listened to the enemy's voice. Revelations 12, 10 speaks of a day when Satan will be bound. And listen to what it says. Then I heard a triumphant voice in heaven proclaiming now salvation and power are set in place and the kingdom reign of our God and ruling authority of his anointed one are established. Read this with me. For the accuser of our brothers and who relentlessly accused them day and night before our God has now been defeated and cast down once and for all. Look at me. The devil accuses us to God. He accuses God to us. And he's accusing others to you as he accuses you to others. Our adversary is not only adverse to us, he's adverse to our brothers and the devil isn't the accuser of the bad people in our life. He didn't go like, watch out for nasty Nikki, it's Friday night. She gonna come out with her leopard skin on. Okay, you would go, okay, well, you go, thank you, devil, for reminding me that Nick is nasty. <laughs> it isn't like, hey, you better watch out. It's Friday, drunk down calling. You know he's going to have some cold ones. Okay. Isn't it interesting that the devil never accuses the negative people in your life? He only accuses the people that God has placed in your life to help you, your brothers and your sisters. Here's the third thing. Judas, his self-talk was his counselor. His self-talk 
was his counsel. Well, what is, what is self-talk? Well, while I'm talking, there's self-talk going on with you. Okay? When I said the spirit of Judas said money, you went, oh, the church must need money because I could tell you I know that's what's going on. I've, I've been noting that, you know, the virus, it crowds down everything and people have been gone a year. Church must be in need. Pastor talking about money. That's what's going on. Oh, come on. Okay. Oh, they're in church. <laughs> I hadn't seen them in a while. Boy. And if anybody needed to be in church, God knows they need to be in church. Because I mean, look at what she's wearing. Doesn't she know she's in church? Lord, this ain't Target. Where is she? Look at me. That's self-talk. Can I tell you something that will terrify you right now? Your thoughts on earth are like words in heaven. And when Jesus spoke to Judas, he didn't speak to him because of what he said. It said in Jesus, knowing their thoughts. He knows your thoughts. He knows your thoughts. As a man thinketh, so is he. You plan a thought, you reap a deed. You plan a deed, you reap a habit. You plan a habit, you reap a destiny and a character. It all begins with a thought. He was his own counselor, his self-talk. Listen, Luke 18, 9 through 14, Jesus talks about a man who did this. Listen to what he says. This is what self-talk is like. Jesus also spoke this parable to certain people who were convinced of their own righteousness. And now he's going to tell you how they did it. And who despised others. Let me stop right here. Listen carefully to me. What gives me grace with people, regardless of where they are in life, is not that I know everything about them, it's that I know everything about me. That's what gives me grace. Who spoke of their own righteousness and who despised others. Two men went up, he said, to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee, who was a religious leader, would be the equivalent of priest, pastor, bishop, stood and prayed what? To who? This is self-talk. God, I thank you that I'm not like the rest of men. Now, you know he wasn't talking to God because God knew the truth. (laughs) That's why Jesus said he was only talking to himself. I'm not like the rest of it, extortionist, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, how many of you are encouraged by the fact with April 15th coming, tax collectors even had a bad name in the time of Jesus? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far away, he couldn't even be near where they were. Wouldn't even lift up his eyes towards heaven, but he beat on his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For whoever exalts himself will be, and whoever humbles himself will be exhausted. What does your self-talk sound like? The most dangerous place a person ever gets is when they get their three worst counselors the Holy Trinity of me, myself, and I. One of the men who 
helped build this church from the very beginning. We talked about the orange chairs today. It was a man named Dr. Charlie Prejean. It was one of the first funerals we ever had in this building. He lay right here. He had a white doctor's jacket on because he taught doctors at LSU School of Medicine and a Saints jersey under there. That's the way he wanted to go. I want to do that too, by the way. A doctor's jacket and a Saints jersey. And I, I remember one day he picked me up to go on a hunt one morning at about four o'clock in the morning. I got in the car, got my things in the car, and I said, well, Dr. Charlie, how you doing? He went, <coughs> I'm not very good. I said, man, you, you need to go see a doctor, and I started laughing. He said, I did. I said, you what? He said, well, I, I went and saw a doctor. I said, come on, Dr. Charlie, you, you're an emergency room specialist. You teach doctors at LSU. And he looked at me and he said, Jacob, the doctor that treats himself has a fool for a patient. Then let me share with you, the counselor who counsels himself has a fool for a counselee. His self-talk. And then finally, number four, he stumbled at offense and disappointment and correction. That that was the final straw. Jesus humiliating him in front of the disciples saying, don't you rebuke this woman. Don't you rebuke this woman. Luke 17, 1, Jesus talks about offenses coming. He said to the disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to the person through whom they come. We're all going to be offended. You're going to be offended by people you love, and you're going to be offended by people you don't love. You're going to be offended by people you like, and you're going to be offended by people you can't stand. The question is not, are you going to be offended? The question is, do you let it stay in your heart? Or do you pull it out through the gift of forgiveness, the same one that was given to you, though you drove and I did the nails in his hands, yet still he forgives us and cleanses us. No one ever starts off wanting to betray you or their faith or what's important to them. You end up there by not guarding your heart, by listening to the lies of the enemy by becoming your chief counselor and by not forgiving the faults and frailties and even sins of other people against you. I love the quote of the person who said, I don't forgive because the person deserves to be forgiven. I forgive because I deserve to be free. I deserve to be free. That's why I forgive. Now, the story I want to close with was told me by Pastor Tim Delina. So, if it's not true, email him. Probably the most famous picture ever painted in the last several hundred years is, is the picture of the Last Supper. Usually on Good Friday or communion, we have that picture up here. Do you know who painted that picture? Anybody know? 
you could just guess. Leonardo da Vinci. It took him many years. It's painted. Beautiful chapel. But as he was painting it, the most difficult person for him to find first to paint, he painted all of the other disciples except one and then Jesus. So so he began with with Jesus and and he found a person that was the perfect person and and that's the person that's Jesus in the picture. But, But as he painted all of the other disciples, the most difficult one for him to find was whoever would betray or or become Judas, the betrayer. And so the story's told that it took him years. One day while walking down the street, he saw a man and he said, I want to hire you. And he immediately brought him to his studio and he sat him down and he began painting the picture of this man to be Judas. At the end, he went to pay the man And the man said, I'm already in your picture. He said, what do you mean? He said, it was many years ago. I've lived a life of sin and pain. I was Jesus. Jesus and Judas. We're both the same person at a different season in their life. In a message like today, I don't want you to think of the Judases in your life. I want you to think of the Judases that's in you. In you. An entire nation is turned away from God. 1963 prayer was taken out of school. In 83, the acknowledgement of God at all was taken out of school. Evolution replaced theology. And when we look back at a generation and say, how did we get where we are? The same way Judas got where he was. Guard your heart. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Don't become your chief counsel. And don't allow the pain that's been inflicted upon you to live inside of you. Forgive it so you no longer have to relive it. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God. I thank you for its power that we can read about a man from 2,000 years ago and yet it causes each one of us, starting with me, to examine my own life. Your word is spirit and life. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. That means we came here with all kinds of other plans and things going on in our mind, in our day, in our week, in our month, and in our year. And in a moment, you stopped us. You threw us into neutral and began speaking to us today. Search our heart. 
We pray with the psalmist David, search our heart and see if there's any wicked way in us. We pray with the psalmist David when he was confronted, cleanse me, wash me, that I might be whiter than snow. Renew a right spirit within me. Lord Jesus, remove every bit of the betrayer from our hearts and our lives today. It would cause us to betray our love for you, our love for our mates, our love for our family, our love for our children, our love for our neighbors, family and friends. In Jesus' name, And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. My birthday is June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday is the week before Easter, 1971, when I pray with an African-American counselor in a chemistry lab to be born again. That day, the old Jacob died and a new one was raised from the dead. I've had great days and I've had terrible days from that day, but I've never been the same since that day. Have you been born again? Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he won't see or enter the kingdom of God. And if that's true, which we know it is, the most important question you will ever answer in your life is, am I born again? You say, Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. Pastor, how can I be born again? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became God's sin bearer. And he died for your sin, so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. I'm going to count to three in just a moment. And on the count of three, if today you would like for me to pray for you to be born again, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm the only one that's going to be looking. But on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. By doing that, you're simply saying, Pastor, pray for me. I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Today, I want to be born again. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. Everything that's happened in your life in this last season has led up to this moment. It was God calling out to you and God reaching out to you to show you his great love and his persistence that he wouldn't quit. And now's the time for you to be born again. Three, if that's you, lift it high. I want to pray for you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. You can put your hands down. Last 10 seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these 18, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I've been fighting it. I know I need to surrender to God and be born again today. People have prayed for me. I know it. This is my moment. If you didn't raise your hand, but you should have, I want you to raise it right now and wave it at me because I asked this last time for you, 20. Anywhere else?
Now let's pray out loud, church, with all those that raise their hand to be born again. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Come on, give it up for all those who prayed that prayer this morning.